Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. This is Emily Makings with the Washington Research Council. I'm here with our president, Lou Moore, and our research director and economist, Chris Schoblum. We're going to talk today about the levy swap proposals that have been floating around Olympia recently. Chris? Yes. Now, the backdrop to this is the Supreme Court's McCleary decision, uh, which has held that the state was not adequately funding uh, basic education. Most of the focus of McCleary has been on the the overall level of uh, education funding, but actually part of the decision is revolves around the source of the funding. The uh, Supreme Court has relied on the state's constitution, which gives the state the primary uh, responsibility for funding schools, and they've held that monies that are raised by local school districts through their local uh, maintenance and operation levies is not properly used to fund uh, the basic education responsibility of the state. When you pose the problem in that way, that the state needs to provide more funding for education to replace the um, funding that's currently coming from local property tax levies, uh, it's sort of a natural jump to say that the state should provide those funds from the state property tax. Since the middle of the last decade, there have been proposals floating around to simultaneously increase state property taxes and funnel that money to schools at the same time we ratchet down local maintenance and operation levies. Senator Zarelli had a, had a proposal, and then later Representative Ross Hunter talked about such a, a levy swap, as it's been known. Behind the scenes, over the course of the of this legislative session, we've had legislators who are talking about this idea. And last week, as we're getting close to the end of the session, this idea has come out into the public eye. We've had a a bill introduced in the uh, state legislature uh, by a senator, Damar, that would do just that kind of a swap. In response, we've seen bills from Democrats in the Senate who are proposing to fund a reduction in local property taxes with a, a state capital gains tax rather than the state property tax. Which is a pretty uh, interesting way of introducing a capital gains tax to Washington State. Yes. Because from my understanding, Chris, and you can elaborate on this, if they just raise the state property tax at a uniform rate across the state, some taxpayers are going to be paying more property taxes. Yes, yes. Maybe you should explain that right now. Yes, the state constitution requires that the property tax levied by any particular district that has the authority to raise a property tax, that tax has to be uniform across all property owners within the district. So that when the state imposes a property tax, it has to charge the same effective property tax rate for every parcel that comes under the tax. That means that the state property tax rate really is the same in Yakima as it is in Seattle, as it is in Bellevue, and so and so. When local school districts are raising property taxes to fund the local schools, that can result in there being different local school property tax rates in Seattle and Bellevue and Yakima. 
when you move from a local levy to a state levy, it's going to tend to raise taxes in districts where there's a large amount of assessed value, a large amount of property to tax per student, and it's going to tend to lower property taxes in districts where there's a relatively small amount of property available to tax. So the students will get the same amount of money. They'll get a uniform amount of money, but taxpayers will not have a uniform experience in property taxpayers. That's right. A lot depends upon the way this is structured and what sort of rule is used to drive the money out to school districts. And one of the interesting things that's come up recently is discussion about not being totally uniform in the way that money is driven out to school districts, but to sort of allow a bit more money to go to those districts where the cost of living is higher and it's therefore more difficult or more expensive to hire teachers. But a capital gains tax would take away the political problem of a possible tax rebellion. I remember in California many years ago, the tax rebellion started over high property taxes yes. and, right, and increases in property taxes. Yes. And it also came in the context of a decision uh, in California that was on school funding that actually was much like the McCleary decision we have up here. And in fact, the lifting, it's been argued that the lifting of responsibility for funding education away from the local districts onto the state kind of opened up the possibility for a, a property tax rebellion. The local school property taxes are the kind of the one property tax that local taxpayers begrudgingly are kind of willing to pay or happy to pay. When you broke the linkage there, that provided the room for the property tax revolt. Sure. It's pretty interesting also, I think, Chris, wouldn't you agree that, uh, you know, we had the governor's capital gains tax proposal at 7%, fairly broad, the exemptions fairly low. Then Chairman Carlisle of the Finance Committee in the House came in with a bill where the the basic rate was lower, 5%, but again, fairly broad in its application. But now uh, there were some bills introduced in this last week where the the number of people who would be paying this proposed capital gains tax would be significantly less. Isn't that correct? Yeah. The estimate of the um, for the earlier bills, there was a threshold that taxes would only be collected on capital gains above $25,000 for an individual or $50,000 for a couple. In these new bills, those thresholds have gone to $250,000 for an individual and $500,000 for a, a couple. And under the broader taxes, it was estimated estimated there would be about 32,000 taxpaying households that would be hit by the tax in any one year. And under the new proposal, that drops to about 5,000 that would be hit. The new proposal totally exempts personal residences from the tax. I was just going to bring that up. So not only are they drastically lowering the number of people who potentially would have to pay this tax, but they're also eliminating various interest groups that are would be very powerful opponents, uh, conceivably the development industry as an example. Yeah, and the realtors who would, you know, kind of very protective of the real estate market and, and you know, the need to pay a capital gain it might be a reason not to sell one house to buy another. So... Sure. And uh, another issue that weaves its way through at least a few of the bills that were covered in this uh, policy brief is the issue of employee compensation. Yes. And that's linked because the local levies 
are being used to enhance compensation above the amount that's provided by the state in its basic education grants. And so the, um, the this this you know eliminating the local lowering the local local property taxes uh, really does involve giving the school districts more state money for compensation purposes, and, and that's where these bills are going. Chris, what would be wrong with moving the funding, the, the primary funding for basic education from the local level to the state level and then moving uh, the source of the funding away from property taxes where there is this uh, very strange uh, possible result where some people are going to be paying more money than they were before and having something like a capital gains tax? What would be wrong with that? There's several things you might you'd worry about, in particular for these capital gains taxes that have been proposed, they're going to be hitting a very small number of individuals and, and with that high threshold. You know, capital gains themselves tend to be a volatile and targeting just the top of the pyramid there gives you a very volatile revenue source and dedicating that to something like basic education probably just doesn't doesn't make sense. That kind of a revenue stream has got to go into a big pot where the fluctuations in it um, get kind of dampened by the large mass of other funds flowing in. So that's one thing. And then, and then folks worry about potential effect of a capital gains tax on the um, state's economy and whether it will drive uh, certain risk-taking investors away from the state looking for other places to to invest. We should say, though, at this point that it wasn't dealt with in these recent bills from Senator Rolfus or Senator uh, Ranker, but uh, Chairman Carlisle's bill does try to address this issue of volatility. Yes, it does. Under the Carlisle bill, the revenue goes into a a new account, dedicated account, the Student uh, Investment Fund, and then uh, set amounts um, are withdrawn from that automatically each year to fund first basic education and then secondly for higher education. If you look at the amounts that are programmed to come out, that at least in the first year, the outflows uh, will total all but $20 million of the projected inflow, so there really isn't much of a cushion provided there. You mean $20 million uh, for higher ed? The projected revenues are $570 million, and then the programmed outflows are $400 million for K-12 education, and then $150 million for higher education, leaving only $20 million un- as a reserve. The idea is that the reserve would build up over time so that when you get a really bad down year, you could continue to make the flows. But that's just not enough to build up much of a reserve. Because K-12 gets the first call on this revenue, Representative Carlisle could quite well argue that it is actually a pretty stable source of funding for K-12, that it is higher education that's going to take the hit from the volatility. But if the, if the estimate is incorrect for how much the tax will bring in, what happens to the amount for K-12? I mean... So is as it long percentage? as the four hundred million comes first, and then the hundred and fifty million for higher education. So, within a considerable range, it's higher education that is bearing all of the fluctuations. Chris, we talked a little bit about the volatility of the capital gains tax, but Emily was asking about the funding estimations. Another estimate that may not be exactly accurate is how many 
of these folks would be affected. Isn't it correct if we say today that 5,000 people will be uh, affected by uh, Senator Ranker's capital gain tax proposal, that number could shrink because they uh, undertake activities that would prevent them from being affected? Yes. Actually, the recent history that's being used to forecast future revenues comes from a period in which the stock market was booming and also a period in which federal capital gains tax rates were at historic lows. At the beginning of 2013, the peak federal rate jumped up from 15% to 24.8%. And then if you added in a state rate of 7%, that gets you up almost to 32%. So there's a little bit of a, of a back off you'll get from the deductibility of the state tax, uh, potentially for federal purposes. But nevertheless, the um, environment in which the taxes that are being paid on capital gains are considerably higher than they've been in the past, and we would expect just not to see as many capital gains taken. You know, it's, a, it's a, often a choice whether to sell an asset or hold on to it, and your the asset holder is trading off between an initial cost of tax associated with that sale and then a potential higher rate of return as you uh, redeploy the capital. And when, the, when you take more out in tax on the sale, you're less likely to choose to sell. We're not only talking about an actually an indefinite number of individuals that would be affected by this tax, we're also uh, having to uh, factor in the, the amount of uh, money that each of them would pay or estimated now that they would pay could uh, fluctuate quite a bit yes. as they change their behavior. Yes. She emphasized that not only do they change their behavior as to whether to sell or not, but also how to sell it and there are ways of disposing of stock where you don't pay taxes. And there will be a greater incentive to engage in those kinds of, of transactions as an alternative to a straight sale. And there's also going to be an opportunity cost that, that we would not be able to measure, but there will be a number of people who might have, under different conditions, invested in the state that will, would now, if, if there was a capital gains tax, choose to spend their money somewhere else yeah, or invest it somewhere else. And, and people who would have chosen to be residents of the state for tax purposes in an atmosphere where there was no income or capital gains tax, but now will may choose to live elsewhere at least their tax lives elsewhere, uh, in order to avoid. Well, one thing that strikes me about this whole situation with uh, McCleary's uh, mandate uh, for the taxation system to change or for the, the sources of funding to change for the schools is even when a bill is relatively simple, there are always unintended consequences, but what, there are a lot of moving parts in what we've just discussed, and we're just scratching the surface. So I don't think it's an accident that uh, two of the bills that uh, are looked at in the policy brief call for a working group to study this a little bit more, which sounds like that might be a heck of a good idea. Yes, yes. There's enough going on here. Uh, you know, property taxes tend to be kind of one of the several third rails of tax policy. And any kind of fundamental reform to the property tax system really needs a, a lot of discussion out in broad daylight um, for it to have much of a chance. We're trying to do our part. All right. This has been Emily Makings, Lou Moore, and Chris Schoblum with the Washington Research Council. Thanks for listening. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council. 
dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.